Thank you, worship team. Good morning and welcome. Uh, we are in the middle of a study in Revelation of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Lamb of God. Welcome. Good to have you. A special treat for you today. I'll tell you more about that in just a few moments. I want to share with you the words of a favorite author, pastor, teacher, David Platt. It goes like this. Next. There we go. Mark it down. There will always be a price to pay for believers who do not worship the idols of this world. Life will not be easy in this world. When you fight the idolatry of this world, plain and simple. Uh, when Jesus called his first disciples to follow him, eventually they understood there's a cost to following Jesus. You don't have to live very long as a Christ follower to understand there is a cost. But why is that? Why around the world and in our own lives we sense spiritual conflict? Why do we at times find it not so easy to follow Jesus? Well, the answers to those questions are found throughout Scripture and certainly in Revelation chapters 12 and 13, which we'll be looking at this morning. Um, before we take sort of a high aerial view of these two chapters, uh, I want to tell you about a special privilege we have this morning. Dr. Bobby Gupta is with us. Perhaps you saw the display out in the lobby. Uh, Bobby and has been a ministry partner of ours for a lot of years. He is the leader and the visionary of Hindustan Bible Institute. And uh, it is a very expansive ministry, has touches throughout India, and um, he is going to sort of be our color commentary this morning on these two chapters, how, they, how, how these two chapters play out in our lives today and give us the challenge to endure and to remain faithful. All right? Now, in these two chapters, we're introduced to Satan and to his two evil human accomplices. They are all exposed. And the choice to follow Jesus or not follow Jesus has never been clearer or harder. Now, chapter 12, uh, it reads, as one author says, sort of like an apocalyptic Christmas story. Um, th there is a, a woman who represents Israel, who gives birth to a son who represents Jesus. And then uh, there is uh, this enormous red dragon that appears that represents Satan. Thirteen times in Revelation, Satan is referred to as a dragon. And uh, as, dra as, as, as Satan is uh, uh, moved, uh, re removed from heaven, cast out of heaven, he is, he is furious. He, he has rage toward God and toward God's people. All right? And uh, this... Uh, uh, th this whole story speaks of just spiritual conflict. Um, this is what we read about the enemy. And the dragon was angry at the woman and declared war against the rest of her children, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. He is angry. And that's how these two chapters read. Now, the very last words in chapter 12 prepare us for chapter 13. Then the dragon took his stand on the shore beside the sea. And now comes chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we read about two beasts that appear. The first beast 
comes out of the sea. In those days, it was considered nothing good comes out of the sea, only chaos. Well, here comes chaos, and this beast represents the Antichrist with a capital A. And the Antichrist is under the complete control and power of the dragon, who is Satan. And people will be lured into following and worshiping the Antichrist and the dragon as they see the miracles and the power of this Antichrist. These are some of the words we read. I saw that one of the heads of the beast seemed wounded beyond recovery. This is the first beast. But the fatal wound was healed. The whole world marveled at his miracle and gave allegiance to the beast. They worshiped the dragon for giving the beast such power. And they also worshiped the beast. Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? This is the first beast that came out of the sea. But now we're introduced to a second beast in chapter 13. This beast comes out of the earth. And this beast is eventually known as the false prophet. And the false prophet is, uh, is sort of a, um, a counterfeit Holy Spirit. And so now the unholy trinity is all in place. We have Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet. And these three, we're going to hear much more about them in the chapters to come, so stay tuned. The false prophet at first seems good because he brings the first beast back to life. But it's all a deception to move people toward the worship of, anti, of the Antichrist and of the dragon. This is what we read about the false prophet. He, the false prophet, exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. He did astounding miracles, even making the fire flash, making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. You see how this is working? The three together working to move people away from God. And so this false prophet also is known for something that you've heard about. He is the one who initiates and administers what is called the mark of the beast. Have you heard of that? Nobody really knows what the mark of the beast is. And by the way, in a couple weeks, as we get to chapters 16 and 17, we're going to be exploring more of what the mark of the beast is. But let me just say simply right now, it is a mockery of the mark of salvation that God gives his true believers the followers of Jesus. What we do know from this chapter is that the mark of the beast will be a mark of some type on the right hand or on the forehead, and without it, you will not be able to buy or sell. And as true believers, when we reject that mark of the beast, we risk death. But those who accept the mark of the beast, whatever that is, they align themselves with the enemy. Now we're almost at the end of chapter 13. At the very end, we read those three numbers that so many people know and wonder about, 666. This is called the number of the beast. And again, we aren't really sure what it is. There have been many, many guesses as who represents 666. Nobody really knows for sure. This is what we know, is that in the Bible, the number seven represents perfection. It symbolizes perfection. The number six represents mankind. It represents imperfection. 
And so 666, if anything, it represents this unholy trinity who seeks to undo the work of Christ, to unseat Christ, to draw people away from following Jesus. That is chapters 12 and 13. About future things. And spiritual conflict is going to intensify. There will be a cost to following Jesus then, but there is a cost to following Jesus today. The Antichrist will come, capital A. But John says in his first letter, 1 John, that the spirit of Antichrist is already here. What is that? The spirit of the Antichrist, lowercase a, means any person, any group, any religion, any teaching that would pull us away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And how do we resist that? What do we do as believers in this day of spiritual conflict where it costs something to follow Jesus? Let's look at the words in chapter 13. And it goes like this. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Anyone who is destined for prison will be taken to prison. Anyone destined to die by the sword will die by the sword. This means that God's holy people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. But how do we do that? And what does that look like today around the world and in our own lives? What does it mean to endure and remain faithful? I'm so glad Dr. Bobby Gupta is with us. He's married to Lynette. She's with us also. They have three grown children. He is the leader of an expansive ministry, HBI in India. And he has some really good insights for us as to how these two chapters play out in our lives today. Would you help me welcome Bobby Gupta? Thank you. should be on by now. But what a joy it is to be back with all of you, and some of you remember me. They, you came by my table and greeted us, and we are so thankful. My wife is here. If you haven't met my wife, I'll let her stand up so she can greet you all in the Indian way to say welcome to you, and thank you all for being part of our lives. Lynette and I have three children. How many children do we have? Okay, if you remember I have three, you'll remember my daughter's name because it's my three, like my three sons, my three daughters, okay? And we have a son whose name is Sushil. You know what the Japanese like to eat? Sushi, add an L to it, and you'll remember Sushil. And then we have Deepak, and he, you know you like to play ice hockey with? The puck, right? <laughs> so just remember Deepak. How many kids do I have? And what are their names? My three, let's say it together, my three, Sushil and Deepak. Let's try one more time. My three. All right. You know why I want you to remember those names? Because especially the last two names, okay? Because they both are not married and they're getting old and we would like to have grandchildren, okay? <laughs> Our daughter is married, but you will remember her because she is a cancer survivor. And so we praise God. She has been touched by the prayers of so many people and God himself. But we're here and we're thankful, and we want to say thank you to every one of you. You all have been partners with us 
ever since tsunami hit my country. And when it hit our country, we built a relationship. And in the course of that relationship, we began to become partners in the ministry. And as a result of this, I want you all to understand, we are very grateful. You know, we cannot be on the mission field without somebody standing with us in prayer, in encouragement, in partnership, in ministry, and also in support of us to be on the field. And you have done all of the above, and we just want to say thank you to you. And the result of your giving to the mission of your church and praying for your missionaries and coming and joining us and sending Jay, and if you ever want to send him permanently away, I don't know if Annette would like to do that, but you can send him to India, all right? We would have him. He's a great minister of the Word of God, and he's a great encourager. And just send him with a one-way ticket so he won't be able to come back. <laughs> but, you know, we want you to know that your giving has helped us to stay on the field. When we went to India, HBI had no churches. Today, as a result of your giving and our involvement in the ministries with HBI, Hindustan Bible Institute has floated a mission planting, church planning movement, and you can pick up a book and read about it, okay? And they have planted over 13,500 churches. Hallelujah. Yeah, give the Lord a... Over 850,000 people have been discipled all over the country of India and our lighthouses today that never knew Jesus Christ in 1983 when we went back. Isn't that an amazing thing? God is good. But there's so much more that God has done. Over 12,500 people have been graduated. These are not just people who are trained to plant churches. These are people who've got a degree, and they're all over the world. Isn't that amazing? And then God has allowed us to mobilize churches, and there's over 150,000 pastors who have been mobilized, and they have been actually mobilizing their churches and multiplying churches in our country. And now if you want to hear something really great that God has done, he has added over 700,000 churches in our country since 1985. Isn't that amazing? We ought to give the Lord a big hand. And church, we want to say thank you to you because you partnered with us, you joined us, and you helped us to actually be part of what God is doing in our country. But this morning, we want to continue to think about the thoughts that Jay has been bringing to us from Revelations chapter 12 and chapter 13. And it is a passage of Scripture that sometimes we think, oh, that is going to be in the future, so it doesn't really matter to us. But whether it is in the future or in the present, as Jay was saying, we must understand that whenever we're in conflict, not with flesh and blood, but with principalities and the powers of the darkness of this earth, there's going to be an incredible amount of struggle in the life of a believer. You are no ordinary person. You are an extraordinary instrument in the hands of God. And every time we bear testimony of the truth, we're going to run into this conflict, not with flesh and blood, but with the powers of darkness, with the principalities and the powers of the darkness of this world. 
And when we run into it, we are going to have this big challenge. Do I throw in the towel or do I stay in the fight? Do I throw in the towel or? One more time. I throw in the towel or? Now listen carefully. Look at those words that were over there in Revelation chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. Very important because it's not just for the future, but what God is saying to us, how do we stay in the fight? How do we continue to do what God wants us to do? How do we continue to conquer darkness and let light begin to shine so brightly? He's saying, those of you who have ears to hear, let him hear. Now, whenever you hear that word, let, remember, it's most likely going to be a command from God, all right? Whenever you're reading your Bible and you hear that word, let, the likelihood is it's going to be an imperative in the text. And what God is saying to John, and John is saying to all of us as he records this dream that he's having, that he's seeing, that is being revealed to him, he's saying, and this is repeated a number of times in the book of Revelation. He who has a year to hear, listen and understand. And it is not an option. It is a command. But listen to what he says. Keep in mind that those of you who are going to bear testimony, those of you who are going to be witnesses, those of you who are going to be like Israel, those of you who are going to be like Jesus Christ, those of you who are going to fight the forces of darkness, you are going to be confronted with the reality of either being taken captive or slain. Either you're going to become a prisoner or you could become a consequence of martyrdom. And it's so important that he says that you understand that if you are going to be that shine, if you are going to be that light that is going to shine in the midst of darkness, and you're going to allow God to work in you and through you so that you can be what he wants you to be, so that you will reveal those righteousness of God in the midst of this conflict of spirituality, he's saying, endure hardship. And be faithful to the end. Even if it means that you will be imprisoned and may lose your life. Yesterday when we were talking about it, I said, you know, let it be what it'll be that happens to me. And it's important. And then one lady came up to me and she said, look at this mark on this shirt. It says, let it be what it be. And you know, I was thinking maybe it's that song, let it be, let it be, let it be that the Beatles song. And maybe it was not as important to us at that time, but in the context of Revelation 12 and 13, let it be, if I have to die, Lord, I'm willing to die. If I have to suffer, Lord, I'm willing to suffer. Then you know what God is saying to us? You are my instrument and I will take you. The question is, how do we go through this? And I want to tell you three stories, and then I'm going to be quiet, okay? And we're going to get ready to partake of the Lord's table. And as we prepare our heart, whether you are online or whether you're here in the service or whether you're going to watch it later, I hope you will ask yourself the question, Lord, what is it that you want me to hear so that I will let it be as it ought to be?
no matter what the circumstances come, no matter how the pressure is, I will live for the praise of your glory. Hallelujah. So here's the first story I want to share with you. It's the story of my dad. Now, my dad was born and brought up in a Hindu family. He used to worship idols. And he was working with his father in his business. And one day his dad caught him actually stealing some of the resources of the business. So he says to my dad, son, there is no hope for you because you see Hinduism teaches God came to save righteous people. You have to become righteous and every life that you live, you'll go from one caste to the next caste to the next caste till you ultimately go through many lives and ultimately you come to realize you're God yourself because you become so righteous and holy. And my dad, grandfather looked at my dad and said, there's no hope for you, son. And all of a sudden, my dad thinks, man, I'm a hopeless guy. And he begins to wonder, what can I do with my life? And so he begins to search. He goes to his grandmother and he says, grandma, what can I do? And his grandmother says, I don't know, but maybe you should read the Bhagavad Gita. And so he reads it. And when he reads the Bhagavad Gita, he discovers you have to climb the mountains. You have to break the coconuts. You have to chant the crime mantras. You got to do what the priest tells you to do. And then you maybe become holy. And as you go from one stage to the next stage, you will actually reach that state of righteousness and you will please God. And so my dad starts his journey. And he would say, I climbed the mountains. I broke the coconuts. I chanted the mantras. And then... I only found my life never changed. I was as evil in my mind, as evil in my heart, and there was no hope for me. And it's into the context of that. He thinks that there's no way I would ever get out of this desperate life that I'm living, that a missionary, and church, thank you for sending missionaries. The church in America sent missionaries, and because of that, we got to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be standing here, but my dad would never have come to know Jesus. But that man stood in front of my dad's house, and he made this statement. Listen carefully. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And he said, is there a God that came to save sinners? My gods are all coming to save righteous people. Wow, there is a God. Isn't that amazing? We have a message and a testimony of a God who came and loved us and gave himself for us. And I hope that if you've never come into a relationship with him, that you will today. But if you ever come into a relationship with him, you become the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's a very powerful reality because he breaks into your heart, he changes your life, and he transforms it so you become a new creation. My dad would say, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things have become new. And it so transformed his life because when he heard the gospel, he got the Bible, he read the Bible cover to cover, came to know, for by grace you are saved through faith. That not of your works, it's a gift of God. He said, I climbed the mountains, I broke the coconuts, nothing could redeem me. Jesus broke into my life, and I became a new creation. Isn't that amazing? And he couldn't keep quiet. And guys, that is the testimony that you and I will begin to share as the days go by. But every time you share the testimony, 
there's conflict. When my dad began to share that testimony, his parents said, son, you can't talk about this. You know, that Jesus is the God of the untouchable people. You can't be embracing. We are a high-caste Hindu family. You can't embrace that God. And my dad said, but it's true. He changed my life. He transformed me. I'm in communion with God. I can talk with him, and he walks with me. Isn't that amazing? He said, it can be whatever it is. It's the God of the untouchables. You cannot worship him. You got to be quiet. But my dad would stand on the street and he would preach like the missionary. And you know what? His parents locked him up in the house and said, you cannot go out. And then they thought to themselves, how long can we keep him locked up? So they decided to poison him, okay? And his uncle comes to him and says, son, if you want to see tomorrow, don't eat your food today. And you know, he doesn't. And it makes his father so angry. Now listen carefully because I want you to understand what happened to my dad. It was a process of conflict with the ungodly supernatural power. And when he began to conflict that, his life became threatened. Persecution came upon him, and his parents tried to take his life, but shortly after that, they said, you cannot live in this home. And they said, maybe we cannot take your life, but you'll starve to death, son, and you will not survive. My dad did not know what to do when his father said, get out of the house. He picked up his Bible. He picked up a jug of water. He opened his Bible. And when he opened his Bible, he read a verse. You know what that verse says? If God spared not his only begotten son, how shall he not with you give you all things freely? It was an act of faith from my dad. It was a revelation from the word. And it was a combination of faith and word that absolutely gripped a hold of my life, my father's life. And when he got ready to leave his house, he closed his Bible, trusting the Lord that no matter what happens, I can endure hardship. I will remain faithful to the end. And he became God's most powerful instrument to remain faithful to the end. And you know what God did with him? He became one of God's greatest preachers in my country, and more people came to know Jesus Christ, and he endured to the end. My dad ate in the greatest places. He traveled in the greatest parts of the world. He had all the best clothes you can think about. He never once was let down. God took care of him, protected him amidst of that conflict, persecution, and challenge to his life. The question is, am I ready to be letting God do that? The second story is another guy. He was a barefoot evangelist like my father in many ways. He couldn't actually read, but this man had come into communion with God. He came into a relationship with Jesus Christ. He was a non-literate who came to hear the gospel and began to have a relationship, and God began to minister to him. And I want you to understand that he became an evangelist. The government of India saw that he was a very significant person, and people followed him. And so they made him what we call a serpent inside this jurisdiction that was under his control. And he would go from village to village, and he would actually minister God's word. Not knowing how to read, he would actually open his Bible. And to his amazement, guys, I know you're not going to believe this, it was as if he could read the Bible. And when we asked him what he was doing, he would say, I can't read the newspaper, but when I open the Bible, 
I can hear the word of God. And he would preach God's word. Isn't that amazing? And people would hear it. One day he was in a village and he was preaching and people were responding to the gospel. And a guy came up to him and said, you cannot preach in this village anymore. And he beat him up and he tied him to the street, to a tree. And while he couldn't defend himself, he hit him up in his stomach. And as he hung over there and dropped down because he was completely exhausted, the man said to him, don't ever come back to this village. The next time you will not go alive. Two weeks later, he comes back to the village. This time, he's full of confidence. And he's preaching with vibrance. And I'm believing that what happened to him was he spent time in prayer, spent time with the Lord, and came to the conviction that it doesn't matter if I die. It doesn't matter if I am prison. Let it be, let it be, let it be what it's going to be. I'm going back to that village and I'm going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. And he went back. The same guy, this time with a gun, said to him, Guy, I told you not to come back. I told you not to preach here. And that man said, I'm going to pull the trigger. He turns around and says, pull it. And he pulls it. No fire. He's smiling, he's grinning, and that man looks at him, and he gets so angry, and he walks away. One week later, he's knocking at the door of this man, and he says to him, Sir, my son is dying. Will you come and pray for my son? Isn't that amazing? Let it be. Let it be. And you know what? He took his man there, and that man got healed, and he said, I have 13 other gangsters in my team. I'm going to bring them all. And today those guys are the elders of the church in that area. Isn't that amazing? Let it be. Give the Lord a hand, guys. Give the Lord a hand. Amazing. And you know what's going to happen to us as we begin to let God work in our lives? We'll come to that place in our life where we'll say, I heard it, Lord. I'm listening, Lord. I understand, Lord, and Lord, I'm willing to suffer, and I'm willing to die, and the things that are going to make it so you endure is, do I know God? Am I reading God's word? Is God's word internalizing inside of me? Am I trusting the Lord and depending on him and allowing God to give me the confidence and the courage to stand up in the midst of this conflict? One last story. And I hope you'll catch the message. And that story is about a guy who graduated from HBI. He and a team of about five other guys, they walked from Chennai to Kerala because they didn't have any money to pay for their travel. And while they were having this de destination, they came to the place in their life where they decided that God is going to help us reach home. They put books on their heads, put placards on the front, and then they walked down to Kerala. And in 52 days, you know what happened to them? They had 21 rupees in their pocket. They didn't have a penny when they left. And they came to know God can supply all their needs. And if they were doing what God wanted them to do, God would care for them. That year when they came back, my dad was preaching and he was saying, you know, there is a state in India and it's called Rajasthan. And the people in that state don't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if anybody goes into that state, they'll get persecuted. 
and it's less than 0.5%. And they, 0.05%. Um, and they, my dad said, who will ever go and be willing to preach the gospel in the midst of this persecution? Guess what? These five guys stood up. And he said to them, guys, they're going to persecute you. You're going to suffer. You're going to die. You may have to go to prison. There are going to be tough times in your life. Are you willing? And he said, yes, we're willing so that the gospel can be preached. Isn't that amazing? And you know what? God began to work in their hearts. And when people around the country began to ask the question, can these guys actually do this? Who's going to support you? Which mission society? And one guy came up to the guy and said to him, hey, last year you didn't have a baby. This year you do. Are you still going to walk all the way to Rajasthan? Well, we don't have the money to go. And God helped us last time. He'll take us. Suppose your baby dies. The guy thought for a moment with tears running down his cheeks. He said, I'll dig a hole. I'll bury the child and we'll go on. Isn't that amazing? And then he said, if all of us die and only I reach and all I do is put a tract on that, we would consider it mission accomplished. My friends, by the time his teammates and them finished their missions in their lives. He alone planted, M.A. Thomas alone, was responsible for over 10,000 churches in my country. He started a Bible college in multiple parts of our nation, and God used him in a very powerful way because he came to a point and he said, it doesn't matter. 17 days after they reached, his skull was cracked, he was persecuted, he was thrown into jail, and he said, let it be, let it be. What was it that helped them to stay focused? And what was it that will help us to endure hardship? What is it that will keep us faithful to the end? A relationship with Jesus Christ, the word of God, the certainty that I trust in him and he will never leave me and I can go to eternity because he is God. You can pull the trigger and it doesn't matter. And a clear vision from God that this is my responsibility. And I'm willing to die. And all my family can die. And I'm willing to be beaten and thrown in prison. My skull can be broken. But let it be. Let it be. Will you endure hardship? And will you remain faithful? to the end. Jay is going to come. He's going to lead us before the Lord. And you know what? Jesus was faithful to the end. He went to the cross. He suffered and he died. And today, we're worshiping him and have a relationship with God. Amen? Thank you, Bobby. I'm sorry we, we could not provide a teacher with more energy or stories. <laughs> We're about to have communion together. If you came in and did not get a communion cup, uh, someone in the back will look for your raised hand and get one to you. I think we have people who will do that, so please uh, raise, just raise your hand. We'll make sure we get one to you. I was thinking about, as Bobby was talking, uh, Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, that anyone who seeks to live a godly life will be persecuted. That means anyone who wants to live God's way, anyone who wants to follow Jesus, they're going to pay a cost. 
There's going to be a cost. At your workplace, you try to do things right in the name of Jesus. In your neighborhood, you try to live for Jesus. Raising kids, marriage. On your school team, at school. You try to live God's way. You'll get some pushback. What do we do? We keep our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith. All along the way, Jesus, Jesus fought the enemy. All along the way, he fought the enemy. But he finished his mission. He endured. He remained faithful. As we take communion together, we're reminded that Jesus was faithful. And we are to be faithful. So, as we hold this, we're remembering. We're to do this. Jesus said, do this until he comes again. Let's bow our heads together, please. If you want to just peel back that top layer and take the bread. But what I'd like for you to do, just silently, quietly to yourself, just several things. One, along with me, let's just admit, once again, our need for a Savior. Not one of us could find our way to God on our own. Secondly, just a word of thanksgiving to God. Gratitude. God, you have done for me through Jesus what I could never do for myself. And then just quietly whisper a prayer, a request, but also a statement of declaration. Jesus, just as you endured and remained faithful. Help me to endure and remain faithful and to do what is right. I put the stake in the ground now. I will live for you and finish strong. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he said, this bread represents my body. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat it together. And then Jesus took the cup. He said, this, this cup represents my blood shed for you. It represents the covenant that God has made with you. You are his children. Whenever you drink this cup, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink it together. Lord, what we have just done is a reminder of, your, of the depth of love you have for us. Thank you. Would you give us the strength and the courage to love you back today, this week, the rest of our lives. Thank you for your great compassion toward us and mercy and forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In just a moment, Joe Binkley has a few things he's going to share with us, but I want to tell you that uh, Bobby and Lynette and I are going to walk out as Joe is talking, and um, 
We're going to stand at the table out there. There are some books out there. You might have interest in one of Bobby's books. Just take one. If you want to make a donation toward a book, you're free to do that. There's a little box there. Or if you just want to make a donation toward his ministry, HBI, our ministry, the chapel's ministry partner, please feel free. All right? Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, thank you. Hey, could we thank uh, Dr. Gupta and his wife one more time for being here with us this morning? <clears throat> Incredible stories. Thank you. Uh, I love hearing him speak. It, it encourages my faith, but also challenges my faith as well, too, and I hope it's done the same for you. Yeah, so if you don't know me, um, you're missing out. I'm just, no. My name is Joe, and I get to lead our high school and young adult ministries here at the chapel. And... Um, we want to we welcome you this morning. If you're a guest with us, thank you so much for joining us on such an incredible weekend. And we would love to know that you're here just so we can let you know a little bit about who we are. Uh, the chapel, we exist to help people move one step closer to God and each other through Christ. And we want to share with you a little bit about our values and our beliefs. And so um, just by letting us know you're here, we can do that. So all you have to do is on the back of your worship program, there's a connect card. You can fill that out and drop it into one of the giving boxes on your way out this morning. Or you can just text the word guest to the number up on the screen that lets us know that you're, you're here with us for the first time. And if you do either of those things, we're going to make a donation in your honor. We're going to... Um, we're going to help purchase Bibles for our adopted village of Sarai in India. And so just by letting us know you're here this morning, um, you can make an impact in the life uh, for Jesus with, to somebody who's on the other side of the globe. So that's a really cool thing that we get to be a part of. A couple things that are coming up that I want to let you know about. Um, the first one is say yes. And what that means is uh, our vision for our next generation, which is infants all the way up through students, high school students, is that it's not that that ministry is not relegated to a certain group of people or or the chapel the chapel kids staff or the student ministry staff, but really it's all of our job. And so we want you to say yes to just serving one weekend, one Sunday or one Saturday night service um, for the rest of this summer. And I know summer we're in our final month of summer, um, but there's still a lot of spots to be filled. So all you have to do is right across from this room over in the atrium, you'll see the, the Say Yes booth. And all of the information is there. You just fill out a card and let us know when you can serve. Now, I do want to warn you, though, uh, that's what I did, and I've been on staff for almost a decade. So that could happen, just, just telling you. But don't let that scare you away. It's been incredible. So, yeah, Say Yes to Chapel Kids this summer. And then, uh, ladies, the Renewed event, women's event, is coming up uh, in a week from this Tuesday. So uh, this, this month, we're going to be talking about a really, really important subject. It's taming the tongue. Yes, we're talking about our words. And Pastor Eric and his wife, Paula, are going to be giving a, a very relevant, very important message about that. Um, so that's coming up, not this Tuesday, but next Tuesday. You don't have to register. You can just show up. However, if you do want child care, that's available for just five bucks a family. And if you want to ta have child care, all you have to do is text the word RENEW to 419-504-1777. Registration for, for child care does end on uh, Sunday at midnight, not tonight, but next week. So the, the Sunday before the event. And then lastly, again... Uh, Bobby Gupta and his wife will be out in the atrium. They have books available for a donation, or like Jay said, you can just make a donation to their ministry if you want to meet them, have them sign your book, um, to talk to them, they will be out there. So thank you all for being here this morning. We're going to end by saying our benediction together. So if you would all stand, we're going to read this together as a church from Revelation 1, 
chapter 1, verse 4. It says, grace and peace to you from the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. We'll see you next weekend.